Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello! New intro. Trying that one out. See how it goes for a couple of weeks. My name is Adam Cleary. Welcome back to Trek Culture. And this is it. Just a quick video that I'm recording to say thank you so much to everybody who tuned in to our Dolphin series where we looked through all the main ships in Star Trek history and found all these juicy little tidbits and behind the scenes stories and just interesting little facts you otherwise wouldn't have known. We're ending with the Defiant, that's the last one, there's no more to talk about so thank you to everybody who watched any of them truly from the bottom of this black heart it has meant the... But, uh, wait a minute... There's another ship coming in. It's the Enterprise. Yeah, you see, I did that's the it's the it's a bit from it's a bit from first contact where they're like, oh, where is it? And you've seen the film. Anyway, the Enterprise E, that is the next ship in this series because my god, how could we not talk about it? It's such a handsome, beautiful piece of tritanium and leather screws. Glue, I actually don't know how they make them. Even though the thing only got three cinematic outings ever, probably enjoyed less screen time than any other ship on this list. It still holds a really special part in the hearts of Star Trek fans the world over. Like, it is probably the best looking ship they've ever had. Not my favorite, we established that was a Defiant, but it's probably the best looking ship they've ever had. Designed by John Eves and Herman Zimmerman, it's relatively small screen time means we probably know less about it than any other hero ship in Star Trek, which is precisely why you've clicked on this video, because we have as ever scoured the behind the scenes stories, the technical manuals, the lore, everything to find you a load of interesting little bits and pieces you did not know about this ship. So, my name is Adam Cleary and these are 10 secrets about the USS Enterprise 1701 E that you need to know. Number 10, the Enterprise Turk E. Yeah, the design of the Enterprise E pretty much started the moment generations finished. I think by 1995 they actually had some production sketches in the works. And unlike other ships we've seen in this series, the original concepts for it went massively wildly away from what we ended up getting, but the original sketch is still quite interesting. Eves, who was working on Deep Space Nine at the time, decided to take everything he liked about the original USS Enterprise and everything he liked about Voyager, put them together, and he came up with this. 
Now, the main thing here is, of course, the forward swept pylons. That's what they originally changed. But like Voyager, they were designed to go up and down depending on when the ship was in warp and when it wasn't. This was obviously some narrative reason because apparently the whole warp five limit Voyager got rid of that with the ups and down thing. But they never really, they never really actually made that a big deal on screen. But the original design did incorporate it. Also, the oval saucer section of the Enterprise D, he rotated so it gave the illusion of forward motion. Quite clever. Apparently they did pretty much all the work for First Contact with this design until Rick Berman took a look at it a few months before the film started and went, anyone else think this looks like a big turkey in a pan? And the entire production crew went, ah, yeah it does. So they went back to the drawing board and they tweaked it to get rid of the whole turkey leg looking thing, which is actually a shame because when did First Contact come out? Anybody, 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 anybody? Thanksgiving, so would have worked. Number nine, last action hero. Now, as was the style at the time, Industrial Light and Magic constructed a 10-foot scale model of the ship for all of the effects work. Because you gotta remember, this was the 90s. Like visual effects, the computer stuff, that was done a little bit here and there because it was expensive and didn't actually look that good. So they did pretty much everything with a physical model. But that did not last. And indeed, by the time the film came to being made, advancements in visual effects meant that actually they could do a lot of stuff on computer rather than with the physical model. So they did still use it for the outside shots of them all walking on the hull and some bits and pieces here and there. But by and large, a lot of the more dynamic shots of the ship in that film are done on a computer. And indeed, such was the rapid advancement of this technology that the CGI Enterprise was pretty much all you saw in both Insurrection and Nemesis. So the 10-foot model was made and then hardly used. And I want to know if I can have it. If anyone, I don't know, wherever you're out there and you work for Industrial Light and Magic and you've got a 10 foot Enterprise E in your garage somewhere, I'll take it. I'll hang it out the window. Number eight, 24 decks. Or not. Yeah, not that we like to pull out mistakes in all of this, but it is kind of interesting that the production crew never fully settled on how many decks the Enterprise E actually had. So in First Contact, Picard tells Lily that there are 24 decks on the Enterprise E. It's also 700 meters long, etc., etc., etc. So, oh, cool, the captain will know how many decks are on his ship, and there are 24 of them. And then later there's a big graphic which only shows 23 decks on the ship. So oh, maybe he was close, but he got it slightly off by one. And then later on, Worf's like, yes, the Borg have assimilated from deck 26 up. And it's like, oh, does anybody know how many decks there actually are? Then, to make matters worse, in Star Trek Nemesis, there is a line of dialogue saying that they've lost shields on deck 29 and that the Remans have beamed over to board on that deck. 29 now! And then, just to make matters even worse, Riker goes down to deck 29 to fight the Remans, and when he kills one of them, he throws them off a thing and they plummet several more decks. So, there's at least... 29, there's possibly like 35 with an infinite chasm, but according to Picard, there's 24, and on the visuals, there's 23, but the Borg are on 26, and just make your fucking minds up, man. Number seven, a ship by any other name. Bit of a wrinkle in the timeline, lol, not like Star Trek to do that, is in First Contact, Geordie says that they have been in space for a year now doing their shakedown cruise. Now, First Contact takes place two years after Generation, so that leaves like at most an entire year to design, build, construct, and launch that ship. And when you look at it, that seems a very short amount of time because it's 
There's a lot going on there. But in a 1998 AOL chat room, and that is a thing I'm old enough to remember, Ronald D. Moore cleared that up by saying while it didn't make it into the film, there was a bit of canon in the background of this that says that the ship had actually been in design and construction for years before the Enterprise D was destroyed. It was just not going to be the next Enterprise. Basically, they were already designing the Sovereign class ship. We're probably going to launch it as the USS Sovereign. But then, of course, when the Enterprise was destroyed, they thought, oh, we'll just make that the flagship instead. Now, there is actually precedent for this. The US Navy, when the Yorktown was sunk midway, just renamed a new ship the Yorktown because it was launching about the same time. So this does, this does happen in real life, so I suppose it can happen in Star Trek. Further interesting point, Gene Roddenberry actually said the same thing had happened to the Enterprise A, and that was called the Yorktown originally. So full circle, Great Eagle, Galaxy, whatever it is. Number six, a last dish effort. Yeah, shout out to Junk Ball Media who somehow sleuthed this one out. If you look at this picture of the Enterprise E, what is wrong with that? What isn't quite right about that picture? It's the deflector dish. Yeah, when they were doing the initial production shots and merchandising and things like that, this was what they were going with for the model of the Enterprise E. But then, of course, the script for First Contact was still in production and they decided they needed to do this big, exciting battle sequence on the hull of the ship and they decided to go with a deflector dish to do that. Now you can see the problem, if you want to film a scene on a bright white light, that's going to look terrible. So they redesigned it so it was orange and more practical and have little jaggy pointy bits in it, etc, etc, etc. But most of these pictures were still out there. And because what the deflector dish looks like is such a small inconsequential part of anybody's life, you can still see promotional material with this kind of design on it. I choose to believe that it just lights up like that sometimes, like a big torch in space, or I, I don't know, there could be a million reasons for it. I like to pretend it's all canon because my life is empty. Number five, 25% new material. Now, we did talk about this a little bit in Star Trek Voyager because not all of that was a brand new set. Like, yes, they created some new stuff for it, like the bridge, etc., but they pretty much just recycled sets at Paramount where they could, and the same is true for the Enterprise E. Alright, so the bridge, that was brand new, engineering, that was brand new, and some of the corridors, they were brand new, but loads of other stuff is literally just Voyager. Now, the most obvious one here is the Enterprise E sickbay, because that is literally just the exact same sickbay as Voyager, and not just because Robert Picardo's in it, because it's just the same exact set. Voyager's cargo bay ended up being the weapons locker, Captain Janeway's quarters were Captain Picard's quarters, Voyager's ready room doubled for Councillor Troy's office, Voyager's boardroom stood in for Deanna Troy's bathroom, and Voyager's engineering section was eventually redressed as the Enterprise E library. And one final thing, if you just direct your attention here quickly, whose windows are those? They're Captain Janeway's windows. Nature abhors a vacuum, Star Trek abhors waste. Number four, Frasier once captained the Enterprise-E. I know sometimes we'll do stuff like this and people will be like, mm, actually, this is beta canon. You can't really include these in the secrets because it's all made up. But one, A, fight me nerds. Two, B, look at this picture and tell me it's not worth including. Yes, in Diane Carey's 1997 novel, Ships of the Line, Captain Morgan Batesman, the man who was captaining that ship in cause and effect, you know, literally Kelsey Grammer, he is in charge of giving the Enterprise-E a shakedown and he gets into a... A bit of a bother with a load of Klingons in the process. Now, yes, of course, this is not technically canon and it is just another thing aside, but look, look at the deflector dish. Remember what I told you. Number three, a very special wall. 
Now you're all sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know if there's one thing I know about the Enterprise E that it never once appeared in a single television episode of either Star Trek Deep Space Nine or Star Trek Voyager. They kept the big screen and the small screen separate. You cannot ever tell me that they crossed over and... I'm going to tell you that they crossed over, but like the littlest bit. Right, so the Enterprise E was conspicuous by its absence in the whole Dominion War storyline. There it was, the most advanced ship Starfleet had that had literally handed a Borg cube its own arse, and it was nowhere to be seen during this, the biggest threat faced by the Alpha Quadrant. But at the exact same time, over in the Delta Quadrant was Star Trek Voyager, and they drafted in Deanna Troy from the Enterprise E to join in with the Red Barkley Pathfinder storyline. So, there's a little connection. Although, did we ever see it? Yes, Reg calls Deanna Troy to speak to her and she is standing there on the Enterprise E and the wall behind her is an actual set from the Enterprise E. So very, 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 very technically, you do see the Enterprise E in the TV of the 90s. It was in an episode of Star Trek Voyager, but it was literally just a generic wall. Which is disappointing, yes, but it is also proof that it was around somewhere. Honestly, I need to sit down with the producers and the writers and just whoever was in charge back then and just ask, like, I know you wanted them to be their own thing. I know they had to retain their own individuality, but just why could you not have one episode? Or just in the background, just, I just, I just need to know. I need to know why they didn't use the Enterprise E in the Dominion. What? That last shot, that last shot in Voyager when all those ships take it back to Earth. Just throw it in there! Number two, Enterprise E, version three. So a slightly interesting story between every single film the Enterprise E was in, it got a slight redesign. Nothing major, but they just took every single opportunity to just tweak a line here or smooth something down there or just rework the little bits to get it to get it perfect. Which of course you can't do when you're using a CGI model. Like the Enterprise D was the same for every single episode of Star Trek The Next Generation because nobody wanted to start hacking into the physical models and having to recreate the exact same thing on all the different scales of it. That's a week's work for Christ's sake. So in Insurrection when they needed to add a captain's yacht, they looked at the underside where this was going to be and they started to smooth out all the lines around that, incorporating the torpedo launcher into what would eventually be the yacht. You can, it's not there in first contact, but they redid the whole underside of the hull to make it look smoother for insurrection. But the biggest changes came before Nemesis because they knew they were building to this huge battle scene with a scimitar, so they reworked the, the shape of the whole ship. Like They smoothed out the differentiation between the saucer section and the hull. They added loads of different photon and quantum torpedo ports and more phaser strips for that battle scene. They also gave the nacelles a slight tweak, make them look more stable, more sweeping, because well, look, they knew the ship was going to get the sh** kicked out of it in that battle, so it might as well look sturdy enough to hold up to that. And the sad thing is, there was a fourth round of redesigns because they did not know that Nemesis was going to be the last film in the series. It was supposed to get fixed and reworked and upgraded and then sent out for some more films. So it was going to have a new paint scheme. It was going to look more in line with the original production sketches from First Contact. But of course... Nemesis bombed, so they pulled the plug and it really was a generation's final journey. So we never got to see what that fourth version of the ship looked like. Number one, the legacy of the E. Now, despite Nemesis getting everything canned, there were still some canon appearances of the Enterprise E 
after Nemesis. And these all took place in the run-up to J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek film with the release of Countdown, a series of graphic novels designed to bridge the gap between where we left it in Nemesis and where Spock goes back in time. Now, under the command of Captain Data, who'd basically downloaded his consciousness into B4 and then asserted his personality over his brother. It was kind of convoluted, but it worked at the time. They took on Nero, they took on the Narada, but the illustrations were... They're open to interpretation. Like, I don't know, either they've completely redesigned that or it's just the way it's drawn. Uh, it's up to you. Now, of course, these graphic novels were registered non-canon with Star Trek Picard because they rewrote exactly what happened in that time frame. But with Picard did come its own series of graphic novels, some of which even featured the Enterprise E. So long story short, it is still out there. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.